Bang ding ding, trademark. Ah, he come out six foot seven tall. Bang ding ding, one is star. <laughs> This is a perfect day. Woke up to the sound of the garbage truck again. Upstairs neighbors' toilets leaking on my head. Cars broke down, I missed the bus, there runs a ten. I had a feeling this was a day. Welcome back to Eggs. Today's special guest is Dr. Glenn Livingston. Dr. Livingston is a veteran psychologist and was a longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm. Disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and food-obsessed individuals, Dr. Livingston spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most importantly, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. Here to talk about putting a stop to overeating, stress eating, binge eating, and learning to stick to any diet, his alternative approach to eating disorders, and how to reprogram yourself to think like a permanently thin person, please join me in welcoming our guest, Dr. Glenn Livingston, to the show. How are you, Dr. Glenn? I'm terrific. Please call me Glenn. It's Absolutely. nice to be here, Ryan. Thank we'll you. I've been looking it. forward to this. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. Glad, uh, glad to have you here. So let's kind of just, start, I guess, start at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about who you are, your background, and, and what we're doing here. Well, I, I'm a psychologist from a family of 17 psychologists. And as people would have heard in the introduction, I've done a lot of business things also. Um, but what's probably most pertinent is not that I'm a psychologist that works with people who have eating problems, but that I had one myself pretty seriously. And if you would have passed by the Woodbury Country Deli in Syosset or Woodbury, Long Island, and you found that they were out of muffins or pizza or Pop-Tarts, it's probably because I was there just before you. Um, <laughs> I'm joking around a little bit, but not, not very much because I'm, I'm 6'4", I'm moderately muscular in stature. I'm not super muscular right now. But when I was 17, I figured out that if I worked out for a couple of hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to. And I, I felt like it was a superpower, you know, like um, a whole pizza, sometimes more, boxes of muffins, boxes of donuts, usually started with chocolate, several bars of chocolate, lattes, anything you could imagine. Um, I, I was your guy. And I really thought it was fine. I, I thought it was great. I was this, you know, eating, sleeping, exercising, and pooping machine. And for a 17-year-old, it's just not so bad, right? But um, the problem came in when I was 22, 23 years old and I was married. And suddenly I'm in graduate school and I'm commuting two hours each way to see patients and take classes, which are freaking hard. I mean, I, I kind of breezed through college, but when I got to graduate school, I was in a whole different class and they were hard classes and they required a lot of time. And I was helping my wife at the time to run a business 
Um, I'm, I'm divorced now. And I just didn't have two hours a day to work out. I barely had two minutes a day to work out. But I found that the food still had a hold of me. It's like it had a life of its own. And it actually started to get worse because I you know, was eating in the car and I was eating while I was doing my studying and it actually started to get a lot worse. And what bothered me more than the weight, because I did start to gain weight, but what bothered me more than the weight initially was the obsession where I felt like I couldn't be sitting and be present with my patients or my, my wife um, because I was thinking about when can I get the next pizza? I mean, I'd be sitting with a suicidal adolescent and thinking, I can't wait to hope the deli's still open when, when we're done, right? And if you know anything about psychology, it's, um, it's not really an intellectual endeavor. Clinical psychology, you, you really have to lend people your soul. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to be 100% present there in the moment with them. And it's not so much about solving a jigsaw puzzle by intellectually putting together the pieces of their life that are screwed up. Um, it's more about getting them to love and trust you enough that they're willing to see the missing pieces in the jigsaw puzzle in the first place and think new thoughts and take chances and that kind of thing. And I just wasn't, I mean, I never lost anyone. Thank God, I work with a lot of suicidal people. I never lost anyone. I work with a lot of couples right after an affair and after less than 1% of them ever got divorced. So I, I kind of made up for it by working hard and studying but and getting a lot of supervision. But I, I wasn't there. And I'm from a family of 17 psychotherapists. So it was the most important thing in my life, my whole life. And it really, really bothered me. Um, being from that background, I decided that there must be a psychological root to this problem. Maybe there's a hole in my heart. And if I could stop trying to fill the hole in my heart, then I would stop trying to fill the hole in my stomach. And so I took that route. I knew some of the best psychologists and psychiatrists in and around New York because of the family that I was in. And I went to see them. And I took medication for a while and I went to Overeaters Anonymous. And I, I had a very soulful spiritual journey, which I don't regret. I learned a lot about myself. I think I'm a more uh, compassionate, deep person, if I do say so myself, from having gone through that. But it didn't really help me with the binging. It, I would. I would get worse for a while. I would, get, I would get a little better for a while, lose some weight, and then I would gain even more. I'd lose some weight and I'd gain even more. It got to the point that my triglycerides were over 1,000 at one point. And my top weight was probably about 280. I got scared of the scale around 257, so that's the last number that I remember. But I, I'm guessing I was up around 280. I've got some pictures. And um, the doctors were telling me I could die before I was 40 if I didn't do something about it. And I was very upset about it. At some point, there were three things that came together that flipped the paradigm for me. And I stopped thinking that it was about nurturing my inner wounded child or healing this hole in my heart. And I started to think this was more like taking charge, like, like the way that an alpha wolf does in a pack if it's challenged for leadership. See, if an alpha wolf is challenged for leadership, it doesn't assume that the challenger needs a hug say, oh my goodness, someone needs a hug, right? It says, it growls and it snarls and it says, get back in line or I'll kill you. And at the same time, I was studying neurology a little bit. I'm not like, not like a medical doctor, but I was studying to try to understand addiction. And the biggest insight I had was that this thing in our brain, which is responsible for the feast and famine response, 
which is responsible for the fight or flight response, that those primitive survival instincts, that part of our brain is the reptilian brain. And that part doesn't know love. There's no love in the reptilian brain. During that part of our, of our evolution, or it doesn't, if you don't believe in evolution and you think God just put this here, then it's still the same thing. That part of our brain looks at something in the environment and it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? It's like a college drinking game. Eat, mate, or kill, right? <laughs> it's the mammalian brain, like which is the seat of emotion, which is the um, which is you know the part of our brain that says, "Wait a minute, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact is that going to have on the people that you love, on your tribe, on your family?" And then the neocortex says, "Before you even do that." Let's think about your long-term plans. Let's think about the person you want to be in the world. Let's think about your creativity and your music and your art and your religion and your spirituality and everything that makes you uniquely human. That's, that's really much higher. That requires delay of gratification and planning and thinking and, and, um, and a good deal of impulse control. So here I am trying to love myself thin but the part of my brain that's responding to food addiction doesn't know love. Then, because I didn't have kids and I didn't commute and my ex-wife traveled for business most weeks back then, I had time for a second career. And I was consulting for big food and big farmer, essentially. I felt like I was on the wrong side of the war, but I was, I was doing this. And I saw in the big food industry that there were millions of dollars that are spent to basically pay rocket scientists to engineer these hyperpalatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins. And the whole point of it is to hit the bliss point in our primitive brains without giving us enough nutrition to feel satisfied. So if you hit the bliss point in our, in, in our reptilian brains and you don't give us enough nutrition to feel satisfied, we keep going back for more. And every time you're looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, there's some fat cat in a white suit with a mustache just laughing all the way to the bank, right? It's not quite as evil as it sounds. I mean, I think the consumer wants to be lied to and these people are scientists working for a living just like you and I are. But the interests are malaligned and the result is that we've got all these food-like substances that we didn't have on the savannah. You know, like there were no chips and pretzels and pizza and pasta on the and Savannah and certainly none of these big brand name, you know, packaged chemicals. And we're not evolutionarily prepared to respond to that. If you look at what happens in mammalian brains, if you hijack the survival drive, which is essentially what's happening, right? They're, they're saying, wait a minute, you might have a natural proclivity to look for nutrition in fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and maybe some whole lean meats or something like that. But we want, we want you to know the good stuff is over here. It's in this, uh, like I remember, a, I remember a VP at a major food bar manufacturer told me that um, their major insight was taking the vitamins out of the bar because they were expensive and they tasted bad and putting the money into shiny, uh, vibrant, diverse colored packaging instead. And shiny, vibrant, diverse colors in nature is supposed to signal the availability of a diversity of nutrients. Right, think of a eat a rainbow. That's what the traditional advice is: mm -hmm. green green lettuce and yellow carrots and blueberries and cabbage and you know purple cabbage. It's a rainbow. It's it's a diversity of micronutrients, and they were faking us out. And that that's what's happening across industry. And I don't mean to single the food 
bar manufacturer out because it goes all across the industry. Uh, and then the advertising industry spends, uh, sends five to 7,000 messages per year to us over the internet and the airwaves about food. And maybe a half dozen of them are about eating more whole fruits and vegetables. So, so I started thinking these are really powerful external forces that have nothing to do with my personal psychology. The, these are, you know, you can walk out of a Burger King and there's a McDonald's across the street. It's, I, don't, I don't think anybody's putting electrodes in our brains, but it's, um, it's almost like they're chemical electrodes that really go right to the lizard brain. And I skipped the end of that story, I'm sorry. If you look at the mammalian studies on hijacking the survival job, the way that they do it is they put a electrode in the part of the uh, mammalian brain that produces pleasure. And they wire that electrode to a lever and the animal, can, like a rat, for example, can press a lever in order to self-stimulate their pleasure center. What do you think those animals do when you give them that lever? Yeah, imagine they spend all day on the lever. All day, thousands of times. They just spend all day press, pressing the lever. Um, they're a little lever addict. And they'll do it to the exclusion of their survival needs. A nursing mother rat will abandon her pups. A starving rat will ignore its food. Um, the survival drive has been hijacked. And I, I think that that's part of what was going on in what is going on in society and why it's so hard for people to eat healthy these days is because there are stronger and stronger chemical electrodes, if you will. There are stronger and stronger food-like substances that make our reptilian brain, brain think we need this stuff to survive. So I looked at that and I said, okay, well, maybe I'm going about this the wrong way. Maybe it's more like becoming an alpha wolf and taking charge of this thing. Like I take charge of my bladder. Ryan, if I had to pee really badly right now, I wouldn't go. Right. I would tell my bladder, look, man, I hear you. We'll take care of it later. But I have this commitment with Ryan. I'm going to finish this you know, video podcast and you know, tough, tough blank. And um, yeah. you know, I do it when I need to. Or if there was a really attractive girl on the street, I wouldn't run out and kiss her right now. Right? There's a time and a place to do that. And I'm, I'm actually a little shy, so I don't do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wasn't, but, but I am. Um, but they, these are very strong biological drives that we live comfortably with day in and day out. We, we're not frightened of them. We don't say that we're powerless over them. They're not mysterious. They're part of a biology. And I started to think maybe this overeating impulse is part of my biology also. One last thing happened that really turned the tide for me, and then I'll tell you what I did, which is really embarrassing for a sophisticated psychologist like me, but, but I'll tell you what I did. So I did this study. I did this 40,000-person study back in the days when internet clicks were cheap, and it was over many years. And I asked people, as I was intercepting them, searching for stress solutions, what they were stressed about in their life, and what foods they couldn't control, because they're looking for patterns. And I found three patterns. I found that people who were lonely or brokenhearted, they tended to turn to chocolate. And that was me. My binges always started with chocolate. And I was in a kind of bad marriage, and I was lonely and brokenhearted, and life really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then people who were stressed at work tended to turn towards salty, crunchy things, chips, pretzels, that kind of stuff. People who were stressed at home, they tended to turn towards chewy, uh, starchy things like bread, bagels, even pizza, pasta. And I thought that was really interesting. So I called my mom 
who is a therapist that also raised me. And I said, mom, I found this really interesting thing about chocolate and she was a chocoholic also. And I said, you know, I am lonely and brokenhearted and it makes sense that this pattern would have be recognized in me because it's recognized in all these other people. But how did this start? Maybe if I knew how it started, then that would be better. What, why do I run to chocolate if I'm lonely and brokenhearted? And my mom gets this awful look on her face and she says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Right? I said, mom, look, it was 40 years ago. What, whatever it is, I forgive you. I love you. I'm just trying to figure it out. She says, I'm so sorry, but when you were one year old in 1965, your dad was a captain in the army and they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And frankly, I was terrified. We were trying to have a second kid, your sister. And I thought I'm going to be an army widow with two small kids. At the same time, my dad, your grandfather, had just gotten out of prison. And he was guilty. And I had no idea. I idolized him my whole life. He was the ray of sunshine in my life. And he was guilty. And I was horrendously depressed. And so half the time when you came running over to me to play or for a hug or for some love or even for some healthy food, I just didn't have the wherewithal to give it to you because I was sitting and staring at the wall depressed and anxious. And so what I did was I kept a little refrigerator on the floor and I put a great big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in the refrigerator. And I say, go get your Bosco, Glenn. And you would go running over to the refrigerator and you'd open it up and you'd suck on the bottle and you go into a chocolate sugar coma. And at this moment, I thought, you know, if this was a movie, mom and I would have this big hug and a big cry and I would never have <laughs> trouble with chocolate again, right? Um, what actually happened was my chocolate binging got worse. And actually my binging as a whole got worse. Because it's like there is this voice inside of me that said, you know what, Glenn, you're right. Our mama didn't love us enough and she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. And until you can find the love of your life and fill it up with good stuff, you're going to have to fill it up with chocolate. Yippee, let's go get some more right now. <laughs> it, it was like this voice of justification. Mm -hmm. And at that point I said, okay, maybe the emotions don't have to be healed. Maybe it's okay that I'm lonely or depressed or heartbroken. Just like, think of the emotion as a fire. Well, you could have a raging fire in a well-contained fireplace, and that's an asset, not a liability. That becomes the center of hearth and home. People gather around it, they laugh, they cry, they make memories, it's an asset. It's only if there are holes in the fireplace or something poking holes in the fireplace that even one ash can get out and burn down the house. So I started to think of myself as having this voice of justification inside that wanted to poke holes in the fireplace. Okay, now this is the weird part, and I wasn't going to publish this. At this point, I was kind of beaten down by my own eating. You know, I was pushing 280 pounds. Well, I came down a little bit before then, but you know, I had been to 280 pounds, and I was really beaten down. And I was gonna keep this very private, so I decided, that I was going to call my reptilian brain my inner pig. That, that was my inner pig. I decided I was going to draw very clear, bright lines between healthy and unhealthy eating so I knew when my inner pig was talking versus my higher self talking. So for example, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again. I'll only ever eat chocolate on Saturday or Sunday. Very clear, bright line. Mm -hmm. And then if I heard a voice in my head that said, you know what, Glenn, you worked out hard enough even though it's Wednesday, you're not going to gain any weight. You might as well have a little chocolate. It's not going to hurt. Yippee, let's go get some. I would say, wait a minute. That's not, my, that's not me. That's my pig squealing for its pig slop. 
I don't eat pig slop. Chocolate is pig slop. And I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And I wish I could tell you it was a miracle and I was better right away. What was a miracle was that I no longer felt powerless and confused. I no longer felt out of control. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. As crude as it sounds, it would wake me up at the moment of impulse, of, of, um, what's the word? the moment of impulse, the moment of temptation. And it would give me those few extra microseconds to remember who I was and what I wanted to do. Sometimes I would freely choose to eat the chocolate anyway. Sometimes I go, oh, F it, I'm just gonna do it anyway. But sometimes I didn't. I started to be able to make the choice. And then I realized that, wait a minute, I'm not following someone else's diet, I'm just following my own rules. If I wanna have chocolate a little more often, I could do that and I could adjust the rule. And I started to create rules that were lower bars, the whole point of which was to take control of my eating, make my eating a more intellectually planned thing as opposed to an impulsive spur of the moment thing. And I decided that that would give me the power to adjust the rules to the point that I could accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a year or two, um, that worked out for me for the most part. And I wound up keeping a journal of me versus my inner pig and all the crazy things it would say. And then I'd look up all the reasons to find out how it was lying. Like, like when my pig would say, it's just as easy to start tomorrow. You worked out harder if it doesn't matter. Well, it turns out it's not just as easy to start tomorrow because by the principle of neuroplasticity, that which fires together, wires together. If I have a craving for chocolate today and I indulge that craving, I'm going to have a stronger craving for chocolate tomorrow. So if you're in a hole, stop digging. It's not just as easy to start tomorrow. So I kept the journal, hundreds of pages for eight years about all the crazy things my pig would say and why they were wrong. I was never going to publish it. I got thin. You know, I lost, uh, lost about 70 pounds, depending upon the week you see me, you could say it was 80. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I hovered between about 200 and 210. Um, and... and you know, my rosacea went away and I, I started eating a lot healthier and it, I felt more in control. I felt a lot calmer. I no longer felt powerless. And that was that. I was doing other things. I was running a coach training organization. I was still doing a little bit of marketing research. And um, then in 2015, as I was getting divorced, my CEO, I was a minor partner of a publishing company. It's one of the business dealings I had. And the CEO, Yoav Ezra, calls me and says, we need to prove that we know what we're doing with marketing. and We need an author we can really count on to get up and speak and, you know, really be on our side. Can you write a book? And I said, well, I've got this weird journal about me versus my pig. <laughs> and it's just, I got to see it. So... I spent a month and I edited and edited the journal into a book and I sent it to him. Two weeks later, he calls me back and he says, Glenn, donuts are pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. He was hundred pounds overweight. Um, and over the course of the next year and a half or two years, he proceeded to lose all that weight. And we published the book and we, you know, we're both in marketing most of our lives. So we kind of sort of know what we're doing, but we had no idea how much it was going to take off. Um, and we have, we have almost a million readers now and people don't really know my name. Sometimes they know my face or my voice and they come up to me in a bookstore. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm on a first date and they'll point at me and they'll go, pig guy. Pig guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my story. That's, that's who I am. And that's what I do. And so now, now I do, um, I've written eight more books, seven more books and 
we have a coaching network and we're developing an app and all that kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Glenn, for, for all that. I mean, I, I'm kind of glad you went long form with it because I think it was important to illustrate sort of the, you know, a, humble beginnings to the, the difficult times to the overcoming and all that stuff. I think it's really important to sort of see that whole arc. I think uh, we're in a society now that sort of culture leads with this idea that everything is kind of instant and we can lose weight quickly and we can, you know, hurry up and get in shape and look like all those Instagram models in little or no time and, you know, with also little or no effort. And I think we're sort of, you know, being pulled in a lot of directions at once. So I think it's important to sort of see that whole arc over sort of a span of time. Um, I liked what you were saying about, you know, I guess sort of overcoming or circumventing this idea that the um, this sort of narrative that you must be broken in some way or another. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's a, a really critical point that you brought up during all that, because I think, you know, I would sort of have accepted that as just being the common truth, right? Is that this is the problem. And, you know, this conversation is one that I've actually been looking forward to for some time because like, basically I'm lifetime heavy kid. I've always been, you know, carried a, a few extra pounds. I, you know, honestly, I attribute so much of it to my youthful uh, demeanor. Because I, uh, by carrying, you know, an extra 60, 70 pounds, maybe a little more, um, you know, my wrinkles don't fill in. So, so yeah. I get accused of being younger than I am a lot. But, um, but I think, you know, this is obviously something I've struggled with my whole life. It's something that now I'm seeing manifest even in, in my children where they're having problems like this. And, and I've never been the sweets guy, but I've definitely been the overeat guy. You know, the guy that, that can't control portions, things like that. And so that's, that's what I've sort of identified to be my struggle is this portion control bit. But, um, but even at that, I mean, here I am right now, we yeah, you know, are working on sort of a, a weight loss initiative, whatever this is this time around. We've tried to make a conscious effort to think lifestyle instead of diet and just look at trying to change the way that we eat and change the things that we're doing. But basically, I have a goal of dropping about 50 pounds, you know, ideally by the end of October, but, you know, I'll give myself some latitude there if I need it. But, you know, so, you know, I would recommend that you do give yourself some latitude. With yeah. that. Like, and see, okay. and part of it too, is I'm a little bit conditioned probably because in the past when I've worked really hard to lose weight, it just falls right off. Right. And so, but I've noticed as I'm getting older that I'm, I'm less resilient, you know, it less and less falls off each time around, you know, and, and the same old tricks aren't working anymore. And so, uh, so I think it's important to sort of navigate that. So I, you know, in my own life, I mean, luckily, I'm relatively trauma-free, you know, I mean, there could be some weird things going on in my head that, you know, have have influenced the way that I do things or whatever, but I can't point to anything in particular outside of just sort of growing up in the 80s and being exposed to all these boxed foods and all these things. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a single mother, and uh, she was putting herself through college and working and doing all this stuff, and, you know, we ate a lot of rice aronis and a lot of, uh, you know, pasta, pasta aronis and whatever roni we could get in a box. And, uh, and so I think I probably developed a lot of bad habits, um, over the years, obviously we've put a lot of effort into this and we've, you know, become better at, you know, being picky about the foods we're choosing and things like that. But now that I'm seeing less and less success, I'm starting to wonder more and more about other things or what else could be going on because it doesn't appear to be the food I'm eating. It doesn't appear to be, you know, something that's strictly mental, you know, that I, I'm, uh, you know, like you mentioned, sort of binge eating chocolate or something in response to some emotional thing. So I'm, I'm having a hard time cracking my nut and I'm trying and uh, hopeful that maybe we can have some conversation that might drive to that. Do, do you, well, I want to address what you said about not being broken because I think that's really important. And if you want to spend the rest of the time, I could coach you through getting started with one simple rule that might, um, might make a difference for you if you're 
if you're curious. Yeah, no, that might be useful. And I I probably wouldn't go so far to say I'm not broken. (laughs) And so, um, because, you know, I I would say that I I sort of uh, look at myself sort of on the spectrum, right, of things that go wrong in people's lives. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some, some deep childhood trauma in, you know, dad and stepdad leaving. And, you know, there's probably some stuff like that early on because like basically from kindergarten on, it was just me and my mom. But, but you don't have to so, fix that in order to fix your reading. Right. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And, and basically I, I like, I don't have any overt emotional issues that seem to come up around those things. Right. I, I still have a good relationship with my stepdad. My real father has passed away, but um, you know, but up to the end, good relationship, everything was okay. Like how old you know, are so you? I, I don't, I just turned 40. Got it. And so, and I do believe too, that there's a little aspect of that 40 and I've got a couple of young boys, uh, 13 and nine year old. And I think that there's probably something around there as I noticed uh, as we turned the corner into 2020, I noticed I was having a lot more thought about legacy and a lot mm-hmm. more thought about what happens if I get hit by a bus, you know, and that kind of thing. And I'm basically a solopreneur. I run a marketing agency. Um, you know, I've spent the last 25 years working remotely, but working on my butt in front of a computer screen. And so I've had a largely sedentary life since leaving school. And, uh, and so I think that there's a number of factors contributing you know, obviously. And, uh, and so I, I don't know that there's a clear narrative, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, trying to understand or maybe unpack some of these different layers and then do it in a way that sort of, you know, not just helps me, but could help our, our listeners. Of course. Of course. I can make points as we go along. Um, I just want to address the issue about being broken or not, because I, in our culture, we're kind of taught that there's something wrong with us if we can't control ourselves with food. And I, I really wonder how anybody can control themselves with food, with big food, big advertising, and the addiction treatment industry saying that you can't, you can't control yourself even if you wanted to. The best you could do is, you know, abstain one day at a time um, when the evidence says elsewise. The evidence says elsewise. So I don't think that we have a disease, people like you and I. I think that we have healthy appetites that have been corrupted by industry for a profit. And... Part of what recovering involves is turning some of that shame into anger, um, you know, a, a, appropriate uh, socially sublimated um, activism if you want to, or just, just knowing that, look, it's not, it's not really your fault, but you're being told the wrong thing. A lot of things that are inappropriate that you're, that you're being told. Um, okay. The other thing I wanted to tell you is that in my experience, and you know, I've got five coaches that work for me, and we've had over a thousand clients in these last couple of years. Um, and I find that overeaters, people that describe what you're describing, like trouble with portion control, they also are pretty good dieters. And they've gone through periods where they've lost weight fairly quickly, and they always remember that. And so, in some ways, that's compounds the problem because they say, well, I can lose this pretty quickly. I I could get this off by the end of October. Um, And so then your inner pig, you don't have to call it, you can call it a food monster or anything you want to call it. But I I call mine my pig. So my inner pig would say, oh, look, you're 6'4". You you can hike a mountain every day for the next two months and you'll be thin by, you know, by October. It's fine. Um, And I found that that was actually a liability because it empowered me to eat more and more and more. Um, I believe that there's an evolutionary mechanism in the brain, and it would make sense that there would be, that says if we go through periods where food is particularly, food and nutrition are particularly scarce, 
then when food and nutrition are available, we'd better hoard it. And so that's why people do all this yo-yo dieting. They, they try to lose weight kind of quickly. They signal their brain that they're going through a period of partial famine. And then suddenly they're at their goal weight. There's this event. Now you can eat a lot more. And all of a sudden the brain says, we better go back in the other direction. We, we just can't do this anymore. And I find that the solution for four to six months, some people can go back to some of the old patterns, but for four to six months is to have a regular, reliable course of nutrition going through your body all the time and to lose you know, maybe two pounds a week at max. N not a lot more than that. I'm actually happier with one. Um, you know, it, I tell people we, we, did the, we did the crime, we have to do the time. You know, it, it's, it's the only way that I've seen to get it off and keep it off, um, with very rare exceptions. There's some sports performance obsessed people that I found could do otherwise, but with very rare exceptions. I find that most people do a lot better if they just say, the most important thing right now is not the weight loss. The most important thing is that I get control. Because if I have control, I can adjust my food plan up and down to lose the weight that I need to over time. And I want this time to be the last time that I have to take off 50 pounds, right? I don't want to go up and down anymore. So what, how is this landing for, for you? Does this yeah, so, so far, so much of that is resonating is true with me, um, especially as we're talking about sort of the you know, the the yo-yo stuff and sort of justifying eating poorly as a result of exercise. Like, so for example, uh, last November, I bought one of those uh, Peloton bikes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I enjoy going to, I used to go to a spin class and I really enjoyed that. And so that was something I wanted to start doing. And so I started doing that kind of stuff. And even now, like, I mean, as recently as yesterday, you know, I do my ride and then, you know, go out and now I'm starving. So I'll, I'll go out and grab, you know, whatever I can grab. And, you know, we've done a pretty good job of filtering out most of the bad for us stuff. Like we just don't keep a lot of that stuff in the house anymore. But, you know, I mean, too much of anything is still probably kind of a problem, you know. So, you know, if it's 1030 at night and I finally got off the bike and then I go, you know, pound, you know, a pound of shrimp, you know, it's probably not ideal. And yeah. so, uh, so that part rings true to me. I think also these ideas about just sort of you know, uh, overcoming sort of the evolution, this yo-yo thing. I mean, that's definitely been something for me. There's one aspect of, of sort of your, your hit sheet that I've, I read that was this idea of sort of getting your mindset right or sort of thinking like a skinny person. And, <clears throat> and it occurred to me that I've actually, at least not in any way, shape, or form that I can remember, even though I was definitely a smaller person at one point, I don't remember ever being a skinny person. And so there's a bit of that concept that resonates with me in that it sounds like a little bit of a mental challenge, like get your head in the right spot. But, um, but for me as an individual, I don't know what it feels like. So I don't know what I'm missing. That kind of yeah, thing. You, you could, um, you could say healthy person instead of a, and the word is thin, not skinny. Cause I don't want right. people to be skinny. Sure, sure. Um, you could say healthy person as opposed to thin or skinny. If it's more believable to you. Yeah. And I think that that probably sounds right. And I think you, you just used a keyword, this idea of, uh, of being believable. I think so much of getting that buy-in is totally buying in, right. And understanding it. And I think maybe, maybe part of me, sort of the inner cynic is going, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be a thin person. That's, that's not me. I've never been that guy, you know? That, and so that, there's that, a little that's, bit of that's a, your pig. That, yeah. That's your, that's your inner okay. pig. <laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to have to come up with some clever name for him. But um, do you want to call us your food monster for now? 
Oh, sure. Better. I, I think we can use the term generic food monster so that it applies to everybody. But yeah, I'll, okay. give, I'll give him some. You know, it was going to be a private thing, pig work for me. I, I'm actually a <laughs> vegan vegan now, and I think pigs are really sweet, but it's more like a wild, dangerous boar is, is what it is. Sure. Um, but it's just it's just not your inner wounded child. It's not a cute pet. It's it's this thing inside you that doesn't care about your goals and your dreams and wants to um, wants to take over at all costs. So do you want me to coach you through this, Ryan, or do you want yeah, to? Go ahead. No, I, okay, I, okay. I think this is great. And I think it's useful information because I, I, I'm definitely not unique. There are a lot of people who struggle with this sort of thing. And I think that we can discuss it in a turn, you know, in a frame that, you know, selfishly helps me because I'm the one who's lucky enough to have you on the other end of the line. But okay. for anybody who does tune in or listen, I would like them to be able to take something away. You know? Would it be okay if I shared my screen instead of sharing my video? Because I need to take sure. notes while we do this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, give me one second. Okay, how do I do this? Share screen. Oh, it says you've disabled participant screen oh, sharing. Okay. I can fix that. Hang on one moment. And uh, let's see, allow. Um, you know what, I don't see a way to allow it. I see uh, allow record. Let's see if that makes any difference. Um, well, I, I could leave my video on and I can just take notes, but okay. I'm going to look, I'll look a little funny because I won't be looking at you. Is that okay? Yeah, no, that's fine. That's okay. okay. Well, we, we can work with that. So yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, wait, you know what? Maybe I can do this. Share screen. Uh, here we go. There we go. I think I got you now. Now you can share my, share my screen. Yeah, now you can. Okay. Okay. There you go. Okay. So we're calling it a food monster. Um, Ryan, would you be okay with thinking of your food monster as the house for any destructive food thoughts, anything that's going to tell you to eat something you really shouldn't be eating or more than you should be eating, and you think of yourself as the person who has constructive food thoughts? So we're, we're making a separation. We're kind of pulling you apart from your food monsters. Is there anything about that that bothers you? It's kind of like the angel and the devil on your shoulder. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, I, I think that's fine. I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling sort of a built-in resistance to the idea, which I, I think is probably just, um, I, I negative or generally don't have the most positive opinion about myself. Like I'm one of these guys that sort of has that sort of inner critic thing going on. And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I work hard to overcome it and on a superficial level, I'm pretty good about it, but I think it's still sort of deep in there. And so, um, so I think that that's the only reason that I'm struggling with it, but I'm totally on board with playing ball. Like, let's Glad you told me that. Let me address that. What tends to happen, see, this is, um, it's not really a part of yourself. It's this, it's no more a part of yourself than your bladder is or your reproductive organs are. Um, and it's something that it's important to take control over. What tends to happen when people do this, they're afraid they're going to be calling themselves a pig or calling themselves, you know, a monster or something like that. But what tends to happen is that because it gives them control over their impulses and they feel like they're able to do things they couldn't do before, is that their self-esteem goes up rather than down. Think about a little child who use, learns how to use the potty for the first time. And they're so excited that now they can do this and now they're a big boy and, um, and their self-esteem goes up, it doesn't go down because they took control over that bodily function. So that's, that's the purpose of this. And you'll, you'll find that you feel better about yourself if you can do this. And if it's not for you, that's okay. You won't, you won't hurt my feelings. 
Oh, no, no, I think it'll be good. I think, and honestly, I think that the, the sort of the negative self-talk is largely around my weight. You know, I'm always the fat guy. I'm always the whatever. And I, so, I, I mean, so it feels sort of instructably or, uh, you know, connected. And, uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly more quickly going to be the guy that does call myself the pig than the one that doesn't. And so, um, so I think it's probably not a bad thing to just try and push through. Okay. Well, maybe we'll call it a food monster as opposed to a pig for you then. So the way that I start with people is usually not with a um, guns blazing diet, but with one simple rule. And the reason for that is that I find that our food monsters tend to set the bar way too high. It's like that nursery rhyme, when she was good, she was very, very good, but when she was bad, she was horrid. And they want us to be very, 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 very good and get it all done. But it turns out that's a really high bar to maintain, and so people keep falling off. And so I tell people, well, you gotta go to kindergarten before you go to college. And can you start with one simple rule? Uh, my, my first rule was I will never have chocolate Monday to Friday again, but it doesn't even have to be a food rule. Um, I, I know a guy, I know a guy who didn't eliminate any foods. He was a trucker and he had about 200 pounds to lose and he lost 150 of them starting with, I'll never go back for seconds again. He was on the road all day. He said, I'm going to eat fast food all day long, but I won't go back for seconds. And because the bar was low enough and he could still eat what he wanted to eat at the, at the places, and he started to lose a little weight, he got motivated. And then he added some other rules. Mm -hmm. So uh, other examples might be, um, I'll never eat in front of the TV again, or I... Yeah, I mean, it's a small example, but the present example, um, there are a couple treats and a couple different types of foods that I sort of hold above all others, and those are my, you know, rarely get kind of thing. So I'm a, I'm a big appreciator of the efficiency of a cookie. And so mm -hmm. I, I enjoy a cookie every now and then, and I will eat them as regularly as they're put in front of me. But um, most recently, I had put them off for a month. Basically, you know, the first of the month, I can have a cookie. I actually didn't have that cookie at all, and I've actually still not had it. But, um, but I, I did sort of give myself a month, you know, a month off cookies, um, sort of on equal playing ground. And so I, it was actually interesting that the three different categories or three different buckets that you put stuff in. Uh, because I guess that would fall sort of probably in more like that home stress or something, or maybe it's chocolate, sort of the sweets, sort of the, the uh, you know, sort of lonely bit, which I, I don't know, seems to maybe resonate right now during pandemic. But, um, you know, and then sort of on equal, equal ground with me are chips and pizza. And so, so okay. cookies, chips, chips, and, cookies, yeah, chips, and those, those are my big three. And I can usually put them off. Like we try and be relatively low carb and all that kind of stuff. And, and so obviously those three things don't fit in that bucket very well. So, but when I do get them, I usually go hog wild. What role do you want the cookies and chips and pizza to play in your life? And I'm not going to tell you what to eat, by the way, mm -hmm. this should be any, anything from having them every other day to, you know, giving them up entirely or, having them only at Major League Baseball games, what, what yeah. role would you like them to play in your life? You know, as, as it is, I, they're, they're kind of rarities. You just said something, this idea about being in a baseball game. I, I have sort of a longstanding rule. I will only drink a Coke at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've been doing that for years. I don't really drink a lot of soda, although I've been drinking a lot more Fresca lately than I've ever drank. But I went a good solid 15, 20 years without drinking a soda. 
And, uh, and that had been sort of my thing is just, you know, I'll have a Coke at the movies and, and damn it, I'm going to have a, a full strength, highly leaded Coca-Cola. And uh, that'll be my thing at the movies. And, uh, and that's been one that I've managed to stick with basically forever. And in fact, now I can't even drink a, a regular Coke. I can't do that much sugar. Um, so I'll have a, you know, a diet Coke or something, but, um, but that's probably kind of, you know, something in the relationship realm of this. Uh, like I say, I mean, we, we don't eat a lot of this stuff anyway, because it's sort of, you know, outside of the low carb bucket. But like I say, when I do have it and, and I will say, so the, the exception I've been making like in and around chips lately has been like sort of around the barbecues, right? It's sort of a nice add on for summer barbecue. And, uh, but when I get it, I, I'll eat the whole stinking bag. So let's see if we can make a, one of the problems with the way that our society tells us to manage food is that they tell us to use moderation uh, and and say something like well eat well 90 percent of the time indulge 10 percent of the time which is really good in theory but the problem is it doesn't specify which is the 10 percent so every time you're in front of a chocolate bar at starbucks you're wondering is this part of the 10 or part of the 90 and you have to make another decision willpower is the ability to make good decisions. And it turns out there are only so many good decisions we can make every day. And so, you know, like you're better off with something like, I'll only ever eat Coke, I'll only ever drink Coke at a movie theater, because now you've made all of your Coca-Cola decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to make a decision at every party you go to or every time you're out to dinner. You don't have to use willpower to do that. You can stick with it. And so I like people for the most difficult trigger foods that they have to come up with very specific clear rules that are kind of black and white you know if you are on the line or over the line um and so i'm wondering if we could do that with chips and cookies and pizza like what you only ever yeah. eat chips at a ball game what, what, what yeah i'm trying to think of a of a good fit i mean like i say i mean barbecue is where it's at lately and but outside of the barbecue sort of environment i'm not eating them and so, uh, so, I mean, maybe that's kind of the social gathering that makes sense because really that's just when they appear, but, do um, you, but I don't do know, want, it's not as clear as my Coca-Cola rule, for example. Well, take a minute and think about it. You could also put a limit on it if you wanted to. You could say, I will never eat chips again, except at a barbecue or a social gathering once per month when I can have, you know, 30 chips or I, I don't know what it would be or mm -hmm. two bags or. Sure. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what we've got here. I mean, this this idea of only only ever eating chips at the barbecue, I think, makes sense. Um, maybe it does make sense to add sort of a quantity qualifier. So maybe we'll just call it like I, I mean, I don't know what the serving size is, but you know, something equivalent to the serving size. You know, the, twenty. Chips. The F, the FDA says that twenty eight chips is a serving size, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Something in that ballpark is probably fair. We could just call it 30 for simple uh, simplicity. Okay. Sake. Never more than 30 chips per calendar day. Okay. So that would be chips. What about cookies? What role would you like cookies to play in your life? Uh, well, I would love if they played a much bigger role, but I think the reality is that they're going to be probably this monthly treat. I think uh, I sort of have been looking at them as sort of the reward for a month well done, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so I think maybe, you know, sort of, you know, at the beginning of the month, maybe if, it, and maybe it's too particular to uh, attribute it to any kind of goal, 
but um, but maybe there's something you know around that idea. You know, it could you know I can have one cookie. You know, and when I'm talking about a cookie, you know, it's a nice gourmet cookie from a place. I'm not just like a Chips Ahoy or something. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I'll, I, I will, you know, I will never eat cookies, you know, more than once a month or something, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or I don't know. The, the thought was that it was sort of a reward for, you know, having done well. So I'll never eat cookies again, except for the first day of the calendar month, provided that I have not eaten any since the first day of the previous month. Yeah, that seems fair. I'm just trying to codify what you're saying. I don't mean to tell you what to do, okay? Yeah, no, you're good. And what about pizza? What role would you like pizza to play in your life? Um, you know, I, I mean, pizza basically comes into our life mostly as a convenience. What I actually prefer is a, you know, fancy, legit Italian pizza, you know, that kind of thing on the thin crust, that sort of thing. And honestly, we don't have that that regularly. Generally, pizza creeps into our life because I've got two boys to play football and we get home at 930. And, you know, it's like, uh, just grab pizza. Just come on, we're done. Like it's been a long day already. And so um, so I would say, I mean, the, the problem with my relationship with pizza right now is that it, it, it comes in those moments of desperation or when it's, you know, at the end of an exhausted day or exhausted period already. Um, outside of that, I wouldn't say I actually go seeking it that, that regularly, uh, mostly because there's not a great pizza place near me outside of like a chain pizza joint. And so, uh, so I would say, I mean, trying to, maybe, maybe it's a, it's putting it in the frame of something like, don't do it for, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to call it other than sort of purposes of laziness or something like, you know, don't use pizza as a, as a, as a filler because we don't have any other, you know, option. And so maybe there's a, a better choice or something. So, so I mean, I, I, that one may, might be a little trickier. I feel more clarity around chips and cookies. Pizza, like I say, is, is more usually an act of desperation than it is an act of me seeking it out. Got it. Got it. So the criteria we use for the rules are that, I, I understand what you're saying. It's a very good idea as a guideline. What we use to make rules work, it's got to be like 10 people could follow you around all month and know whether you follow the rule or you didn't without having to talk to you. So it's, it's got to be a little more objective than that. Maybe you could think about pizza. And yeah, let me, let me think on that one. Cause like I say, I enjoy it. And when I do get to have it, I'm, I'm a big fan, but yeah, it's not something, I mean, or maybe it's just an access thing, but it's not as easily worked well, into so, my day as cookies or chips could be. So in the interest of time, I'm not going to push you on the pizza. Um, how much time do we have? Could we go until a quarter after? Yeah, I'm fine if we go a little over. Um, I mean, I, I actually don't have any appointments after this. It's more about your time. So if you've got time to I, go I can go to a quarter after, another 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay. So if you take a breath and you were to follow these two rules, like assuming that, um, assuming that you follow these two rules, let's say for the next 90 days, does that feel like something you could and might want to do? Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty good about that. Do you feel like it would make a difference? Um, I'm going back and forth because I, I don't think it's my biggest problem. Like I say, I'm not generally a, a sweets guy or a snacks guy. Now I, I will indulge if it's in the, you know, if it's in the room, if I have a bag of chips in the pantry, I will go for the bag of chips, but, um, but I don't seek it out. I don't buy it at the store. You know I mean? It's only in the house rarely. And so what's the so biggest problem? I think my biggest issue is actually just quantity. And and because honestly, we do a lot of really plain meals. My kids are losing their mind with all the chicken and veggies. But um, 
you know, but I think what ends up happening is instead of having one chicken breast, I'll have two. Or even though we're having, you know, broccoli and cauliflower or something, you know, I'll still eat a boatload of it, you know? And so I, I wouldn't say, I mean, cause it's not, you know, an overindulgence in a lot of crappy foods. It's, it's, you know, probably overindulgence in what I believe are reasonable foods. Got it. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm screwing it up or maybe I'm off the rail somewhere, but I, I, I sort of, if I was just to sort of give myself a quick analysis, I would say it has more to do with this overeating part than it does to do with like sort of the sweets or the snacks. So where might a line be? If we were going to draw some kind of an objective line around volume and portion control, how would we know where that is? Um, you know, I haven't put a lot of thought to it because what I typically do, and this is probably not the, the best modality for it, back to your ideas of sort of developing control, is I try and relinquish this uh, bit of my meal prep to my wife. So uh -huh. I try and say, you know, basically you serve me because if I serve me, I'll take too much. Uh -huh. And so, but because of that, I haven't actually set a boundary. It's sort of arbitrary based on what she serves me. And then, you know, I will go back for the second or I'll go snatch something else. So, I mean, it makes sense to make a, a, a rule or a, a boundary that I can control. Yeah. And I guess take a little personal responsibility for. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but I, I'd maybe appreciate a little guidance on that. I mean, maybe well, it's I, as simple I, I, as just I, keep it to one plate or something. I don't know. But. A lot of people do that. They say I'll have one plate of food per meal. Um, some people have to say, you know, no more than two inches high or something like that. Because sometimes they'll do the one plate of food and they'll pile it all the way up to, mm -hmm. to the ceiling. Um, other people will say a meal is a fistful of protein, a fistful of starch, and you know, the rest of the plate is vegetables, maybe one piece of fruit on the side or something like that. Um, but those are the kind of things that people do to look for external measures. Other people will say, I will always tally my food before I eat it. So they'll use one. Of, they don't do this forever, just for a couple of months to get things under control. Mm -hmm. So they'll use one of those, you know, my fitness pals or chronometers and they'll enter it in beforehand just to generate their awareness. And there's no specific rule that says they have to stop at X number of calories, but they, they eliminate the mindlessness of it by tallying their food beforehand. Mm -hmm. Other people say, I will always take a picture of my food before I eat it. And that one little pause without any other rules whatsoever um, causes them to step back and think. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, I guess half of that food was for my pig. So I'll put that in the refrigerator for later and they'll, they'll carve up half of what they had taken out. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that pause really helps. Okay. What do you think? Um, yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, one of the, or a couple of the efforts that I've put forth uh, recently that I think are probably valuable, we have basically a large plate and a small plate. So I've adapted to using the small plate. Yeah. Um, that seems to be uh, corralling it a little bit. Like I don't generally, you know, stack too deep. Like, I mean, my overeating, is, uh, you know, like I say, I mean, I'll go have a couple chicken breasts, but it still will fit on my little plate. <laughs> and so it, it hasn't corrected that much of that. Um, but so the little plate is, is one aspect. The, uh, I've been trying to do uh, more weighing, like sort of, you know, weighing the, uh, the amount of food I'm eating. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll do uh, like three ounces of red meat or four ounces of chicken, that kind of thing you know, and then sort of unlimited vegetables. Like I don't really put too much thought to the, uh, the quantities I ingest of, of sort of the green stuff. And uh, so, so that's, you know, sort of an approach that I've kind of factored in. But, um, but I will say, you know, neither have been real good about me sticking to it. 
right? We sort of started a, a weight loss routine that included this weighing of food stuff. And, um, and basically that bit didn't stick, you know, I mean, we're still eating the same good foods, but the, the stopping to weigh it didn't stick. Um, it sounds like that's a pretty small amount of food you were trying to weigh for, for our yeah, and I mean, that would be, you know, like per meal. So I mean, and the, the way that this one was set up, it was three meals, then like a workout, then like a shake kind of thing. And, uh, and we almost never did the, the shake thing. I still do the, the workouts. And I'm probably good for I mean, we generally will get our three meals a day. But um, and, and we have sort of a static breakfast that came from that, which is just basically an egg on some fancy Ezekiel bread with uh, a, you know, a tablespoon of uh, almond butter on it. So that's generally breakfast, and then uh, and then lunch is just kind of whatever, just leftover stuff. Like a lot of times, I'll smoke something in quantity, and then you know we'll just kind of parcel it out. So it was easy so, to waste. So, so Ryan, if if you're going to take our whole discussion into mind and come up with one simple thing that you know is going to make a difference, what does your intuition say that might be? Um, maybe like one of anything. Something like that, because uh -huh. I, like I say, my inclination is to go back for that extra pork chop or that extra Got it. Or okay. extra whatever. So even I though will. I might, yeah, I might like have a hamburger with no bun, but I'll still go back for another burger, that kind of thing. So, so maybe just keeping it to one. I'll never eat more than one serving per meal again. Yeah. 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 I think that seems fair. Same with cookies, chips, pizza. You can define what a serving is. Mm-hmm. Take, take um, a breath. Yeah, I think, you know, around, around that, I mean, generally our, our meals are, are consist of a protein object, something, a chicken, a little steak, a little, you know, pork chop, something. So there's generally a protein component and then a vegetable component. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I say, we're trying to stay off the carby stuff. So we're having largely, you know, the green vegetables, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, you know, I, I would say it's probably the protein component that's the biggest mess. But honestly, and, and I don't know enough about the sort of the, the weight loss science, like it seems like the foods I'm eating are stuff that my body could handle. And so I don't understand necessarily why, outside of just sort of caloric restriction, you know, why I'm not capable of losing weight on the foods I'm eating. How long are you able to maintain that before you start having chips and cookies and pizza? Um, I, it's I I don't know. It's, it's usually pretty good. I mean, we, we go on these long runs where it's, you know, one thing after, you know, like days and days of, of this kind of thing. And usually, you're not, you're, yeah, usually pizza only shows up at my house. If like, say wife and I are going on date night or something and we order pizza for the kids, then I'll come back and, you know, chase dinner with a couple of pieces of pizza. Um, and, you know, and you're or, not, you're not, you're not losing weight during that time. No. And, uh, and, you know, like I say, I, I've been sort of fluctuating right now. I'm at around 280. I've been fluctuating between like 265 and 280 for maybe the last year. And, uh, and ideally, I'd like to get down to about that 210, 220-ish range. I mean, I've got a big frame. I mean, I just, I am a big guy too. And so I, I don't think it's likely I'm going to get down to the doctor, re doctor recommended 180. But I think I'd be pretty satisfied or pretty happy around that 210, 220. And gotcha. so, but I mean, I haven't, I haven't weighed that since junior high. So. Have you spoken to a nutritionist or a dietitian? Um, I have tried. Um, I, I did use one one time. And, you know, back to this sort of the psychological components. Um, one of the things that she had me try and do was this um, 
sort of self-affirmation thing, look in the mirror, tell myself how much I love me and all this kind of thing. And honestly, I just couldn't bring myself to do it because it felt so inauthentic I, or it felt I'm like not I was gonna, lying I'm not going to tell you to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. So, but, um, but so because of that, though, I sort of dismissed it out of hand and then I just never really followed through. Oh. And so, uh, so that was sort of the, the, the issue there. Um, we are trying to get our hands on a nutritionist, somebody like that. Um, my youngest son has, has got sort of my, some of my bad habits and, uh, has put on a little extra weight recently. And, uh, you know, he's very active with sports and everything, but still just, you know, uh, some of the excuses we've discussed or the reasons for eating are things that he suffers from as well. And, uh, as a part of that, um, I, I, I have gone to the doctor for it and the doctor just gives me blood pressure medication yet doesn't really refer me to anybody. Uh, with our son, we managed to get a referral to a nutritionist. And so, uh, so we're going to try and take advantage of that. And see Good. Good. This will be our first time and, and I'm 40. So, okay. I mean, I, I know people in the plant-based world, but I don't know anybody in the low carb world that I could recommend. Well, and I, I honestly yeah. don't know that low carb is it either. You know I mean? Part of the, I think the solution is finding the thing that works for your body type or whatever. I've done some genetic testing and things like that. And have found that uh, apparently people of my makeup have a little extra sensitivity to inflammation as it regards to uh, red meats. So I should probably cut out some red meats and that kind of stuff. So, so Ryan, what, what I'm trying to say is that I'm, I'm not a nutritionist or a medical doctor, so I don't really know the answer for what you should be eating. Sure. Um, so if you really don't know that, then we need to talk to somebody. I, I usually find people know something they can do that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a little bit like I'm pushing you to do something that you don't want to do. And I don't, I don't want to be in that position with you. I, I could help you stick to something if you really want to do it. Mm -hmm. But if it's something you feel like you should do, but you really don't want to, I, I don't know if I can help. Yeah, no, I, I would say I, I definitely want to. So sorry if I'm not being uh, committal enough. I think I, I'm trying to overthink it or overtalk it. But, um, but yeah, no, it's a, I mean, obviously this is a struggle I've had for a long time. This is something I, that's important to me. And so I, I, I would like to do it. So, I think so my we need biggest to struggle to... is that I feel like I'm doing things that are in the right direction and I'm not seeing any results. Yeah, I don't blame you. So you don't, you don't believe there's anything that you can do that would make a difference. There's nothing that you know you could do. So it's not really so much about sticking to something. You don't know what you should stick to that would make a difference. I think that's fair. Um, like I say, I think really the, the only approach that I, I seems to resonate with me is just sort of a caloric restriction sort of idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I find that when people gravitate away from concentrated foods, from industrial concentrated foods, and they, you know, and they kind of minimize cheese and nuts and things like that, that they tend to get more of their calories from protein and fruits and vegetables. And a lot of people who are describing to me that they can't lose weight, suddenly they, they can lose weight. But it, like I said, it's not my expertise, so I can't really push you in that direction. Um, maybe we should stop there because we, we need a rule to focus on if I'm going to coach you through it. Sure. Now, my hesitation is that one of the things that we've discovered is that the food monster's best friend is ambiguity. So if the food monster can keep you indecisive about what target you should shoot for, then you never know what you're aiming at and you can't really make any progress. And the food monster loves that. And so I have the opinion it's better to be 80% sure of a target that you want to go for um, and then shoot for it with perfection. Like aim, 
like a like an Olympic archer shooting at the bullseye and become one with the bullseye, really try to hit the center every time. I have the opinion that's better than a ambivalence about well this might work and that might work and this mm -hmm. might work and that might work, but then you're not really shooting at anything. Um, it's it's um, I call it the grass is always greener theory, or, or the confuse and conquer maneuver where the the pig says we should do this, we should do that, we should do this, we should do that, but then it's not really doing anything. And so I say the, the grass isn't green around the other side. The grass is greener where it's watered. Let's just pick something and shoot at it. Okay. And so I think that that's where you are right now is we need to really, and maybe I'm failing you in that, in that respect. Not really no, that that seems right though. I mean, as just sort of a general part of my demeanor, this ambiguity is something that is a big part of my day. So, um, so it doesn't surprise me, and it, I just have never had it pointed out to me in sort of the uh, the frame of sort of diet or in the frame of you know weight loss. But um, but that that resonates with me as something that you know developing focus on would would be valuable. Yeah. So what what I would leave you with is to think about what one simple rule would be very very clear, black and white rule, not not a guideline but a rule, so that then you could define your food monster is any thought, feeling, or impulse that suggests you're going to cross that line. And then you can start doing what I would, the rest of what I was going to do with you today, which is to look at very specifically why your food monster says you should cross that line mm -hmm. and then show you how you can talk your food monster out of, um, out of talking you out of it. So you, so you can stick to it. So, but we, we need, we need to overcome that, um, the ambiguity first. And you're not alone with that. I mean, so many people start out in that position. So I, I, I wish I could have helped you a little more thoroughly to zero in on what you want to do. Do you, do you have any better sense after that conversation what one rule might be? Um, I mean, the, the one that's feeling or the, the of, of what we've got here on the screen, the one that I think is probably the most relevant is this more than one serving thing. Okay. So, because even in the spirit of, of caloric restriction or whatever, I mean, if I, if I'm eating three or four of whatever, um, that is, is probably, you know, it's too much of a good thing. So I, I think that that's something that I could definitely stick to. Okay. So do we want to say of protein? Is that where you're overdoing it or do you want to say of? Yeah, it, maybe it's even just keep it at one serving and that can sort of be a general don't go back and refill the plate again. Okay, except for vegetables. You can have as many vegetables as you. Yeah, I won't kill myself over vegetables, but I think as a, if as a practice, I'm just not going back for, for seconds. So. Got, okay, so I'll, I'll never go back for seconds again. That's even small. Go back for seconds again. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I like that. So let me ask you a question. I'm trying to leave you on a good note. I know that your food monster probably says that you're going to break this, but what if you didn't? What if for 90 days you never went back for seconds and you woke up and you looked in the mirror? What would be different about you, about your life, about your physically, mentally, your relationships? What would be different? Um, I anticipate that, uh, you know, I would probably drop some weight. I mean, generally speaking, when I'm on a, on a straight and narrow, I would drop some weight and uh, losing a little bit, even, you know, something you know, marginal, maybe not 50 pounds by October, but something would be valuable or sort of set me in the right path. Because especially right now, I've got this mindset where I'm just hovering and I, I don't feel like I can make any progress.
So I think seeing some progress, I think would be beneficial. So and realistically, I how much would you drop? Uh, in 90 days, I, I could be down 25 or 30, at least based on past experience. I, I, I don't okay. know uh, how my biology will play now, but th that's what I would anticipate. Okay. It's about two pence. Um, yeah. I think we could, um, I, I think as I develop or, or start to drop some of that weight and start to feel that sense of sort of accomplishment, I guess, I imagine that that would sort of permeate my general state of well-being, my sort of general confidence, general uh, demeanor. And, uh, and that's something that I've noticed, especially uh, during COVID and when I'm feeling less healthy maybe than ever. Um, I, I've noticed that my, my general sense of confidence has, has been shaken a little bit. Um, so I think that that's something that would be uh, nice to see back. Um, I think maybe a little bit of sort of relationship with self would be good. I think, um, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about the importance of relationships and business and life and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I have sort of this metaphor, this idea that sort of, you know, if, if you're on an airplane and the, the mask drops, you need to put it on yourself before you put it on this person sitting next to you because you're basically no good to them dead. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think there's a little bit of that, this concept that, you know, relationship with self needs to happen so that I can be better for others. And, uh, and I think that sort of seeing that progress, seeing that weight loss, developing that confidence, I think all contributes to uh, more of a state where I feel good about that, that, I, that I'm more capable to contribute because maybe there's less emotional baggage laying around, you know, using up decisions. What would be good about dropping 25 pounds? I know it's a silly question, but. No, no, there's, uh, I mean, there's health aspects. Uh, obviously, um, my family suffers from some cancers and some heart conditions and things. My father died at 47 from a heart attack. And, uh, and so that's one of those things. Uh, I, I, I specifically worry more about uh, heart or cardiovascular issues than anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that would be good. I think sort of, you know, when I get on my Peloton and I do my ride for it to be a little less of a slog, would probably be good, and uh, and I anticipate that would come with uh, being a little lighter on my feet. Um, you know, I think just sort of a, uh, or maybe even one of the bigger things is sort of a, uh, I don't know, confidence in appearance, you know, uh, fitting better in clothing, that sort of thing, uh, instead of being at the high end of what, what you know, my wardrobe will permit. Uh, so, you know, sort of fitting somewhere uh, more comfortably in there, I think would be good. Is there a particular suit or pair of jeans or outfit that you'd like to wear that you can't wear right now? Um, I don't have anything like that, but what I would say is that I've been teetering on uh, between a 2X and a 3XT and XL feels better to me. And okay. so like, cause you know, I just understand I'm going to be a big person, so I'm not dying to get into a medium, but if I wasn't, you know, uh, in multiple X's, I'd feel better about it. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. What else is, what else would be good about losing 25? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think so much of it would be that. I mean, there's obviously the the physical stuff. I mean, just, you know, uh, feeling less gassed or, or having more energy. I mean, I, I work really long days and stuff anyway, so I don't know how much just being lighter will help. But, you know, whatever I can do for energy, I think would be valuable. Uh, maybe sleeping a little better. Um, oh, uh, getting off of, uh, I'm on some uh, blood, blood pressure medication. I'd love to get off that. Um, you know, uh, that would be good if I could sort of, you know, relegate some of those things. I mean, outside of that, I'm, I'm generally pretty healthy. I don't have a lot of other health concerns, but 
that, that, that in particular would be something valuable to get uh, to sort of resolve. Um, and if we can make five more minutes, sure. do, do you want to commit to this? Yeah, we're going to hold You want to commit to this? Okay. So then let's talk to your food monster for a minute. Why does a food monster say that you, what are the three biggest reasons the food monster says you can't, shouldn't, or won't? Uh, I typically, or I would blame willpower. I would say I don't have the sort of internal strength to do it. Um, I think that there's a, a little bit of excuse making in and around, you know, my body needs more because I'm bigger, that kind of thing. So there's sort of, um, I don't know how to say that in a, in a more concise way, but sort of this idea that, you know, it's okay for me to grab another. And, uh, and I think to, uh, this, this concept, and we've talked about it a couple of times, but this idea that I'm exercising, I'm, I'm working out, so I'm free to just eat whatever I want. That sort of thing. Yep. Exercise, bulimia. That's what I had. Um, okay. So if we assume that the food monster wins by telling a half truth with a bigger lie and it fools us with the half truth, can you help me find the lies in this? When the food monster says you don't have enough willpower internal or internal strength to last, how is that a lie? Uh, yeah, I would look at um, sort of just life experience. I've never managed to really stick to anything. I've tried a number of things, but haven't stuck. Um, so that, so those are things, that. that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the aspect of it that's true. But if you wanted to prove that it was false, how is, how is the food monster lying? Um, I don't know. In other aspects of my life, I'm more disciplined. Maybe because like, you, you run a whole agency, right? Yeah. I, I run a business, you know, I mean, we do these, these podcasts I'm you know, I'm doing all kinds of things all the time. And so, uh, so yeah, so in, in other aspects of my life, I'm very capable. Um, mm -hmm. do you know that the research on people who lose weight and keep it off as compared to people that you're, your diet suggests that the biggest differentiating factor is the number of failures they have behind them. And the people that successfully lose weight and keep it off have dramatically more failures, significantly more failures behind them than the people who yo-yo diet, which suggests that the path through to success is through a multitude of failures. And so the fact that you've tried and failed repeatedly is actually a good thing. Your, your food monster is actually complimenting you. Okay. And you, you could think of um, when, a ch when your kids were learning how to walk, they probably fell down a thousand times, right? Sure. And did you tell them, ah, you should just give up. You've fallen down so many times already? No, of course not. Right. Right. So it's kind of odd that we allow our food monster to talk to us like this. Yeah. The, the reason we allow that is because of the gratification of the, um, we, we call whatever's off our food plan, we call it pig slop. Mm -hmm. So the gratification of the slop motivates the, I keep calling it a pig, your food monster to emphasize the fact that you failed before um, when you would never do that when you're talking to a child. Right. You, you know, that's not the way to talk to a winner. Yeah. When your food monster says your body needs more food because you're a big guy, so it's really important you go back for seconds. How is that a lie? How is the food monster lying to you? Um, I would say, and maybe I should expand that just a little bit. Some of it's my body saying that the other aspect is maybe cultural. 
Um, just, you know, family and friends have always encouraged me. Oh, take a little extra, take a little extra, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think it's sort of all related, but it's this concept that, um, you know, because I'm big, therefore I should eat a lot. Mm-hmm. So is that true though? Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't think it probably is. Well, I mean, it's kind of an empirical decision, right? If you're, if you're getting to where you want to be mm-hmm. and you're able to maintain it, then you're probably eating about the right amount. Yeah. Um, hmm. Does that feel satisfying to you? Do you, or do you believe that you still believe that you're a big guy? So you should go back for seconds. Um, no, what it, what it, how it manifests is somebody says, go have it. So I go have it. And so, or, and, and that happens internally too, right? Oh, because I, you know, I'm big, I'm still hungry. I should go have another. And so, um, so I think recognizing it is one aspect of it, but I think uh, the part that puts it into action is sort of that, uh, cultural pressure or sort of whatever, whatever that is. It's something being imposed on me either by myself or others. Well, do you have to eat food when someone says that you should? Your food monster says that if someone says that you should eat food, you have to eat it. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I think that's what, what you know, is I, I hear that or I'm told to, and therefore I do. I have a hard time saying no. Um, and so you're compelled. You don't have a choice but to eat the food if someone tells you that you should eat the food? Yeah, that makes sense. It feels a little out of my hands. Is that true, though? Is it out of your hands? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Well, that, that's what we want to do. We, we want to find the lies in what the, what the um, food monster is saying. Mm. And it's not true because they don't really know what you've eaten all week long. And they don't really know um, how your weight is moving up or down. And they don't really know the health risks that you're facing. And they don't really know that you're not sleeping as well as you could and you're having to take high blood pressure medication and you've got to you know, suffer with your digestion and you can't fit into the wardrobe. And they, they don't know all those things. They're just looking and saying, well, you're a big guy, you should eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't necessarily know what's best for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. I, I apologize if this feels uncomfortable. I, I'm attacking no. your food. Mu- okay. No, you're, no, you're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty transparent this way. Like I'm, I'm, you know, excited to have this opportunity with you. And I'm sorry okay. I'm keeping you extra long, but yeah, no. no I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm, I'm going to have to go in a minute, but I don't mind staying. I just really want to help you. Um, when your food monster says you're working out, you should, so you should be able to eat whatever you want. Is that true? Uh, no, it's not true. Ryan, that's how I got to be 280 pounds. I, I thought that I was working out so I could eat whatever I wanted to, and then I wasn't working out as much, and I still thought I could eat whatever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. You, you and I have a very similar background. Um, so I would be happy to do this again if you wanted to. I, I don't want to leave you in the middle. There's a lot more I would do with you if we had time. Sure. Uh, I'm hoping this helps you to get a little clarity, get a little bit of sense of how you could start to expose the food monsters lies and disempower them. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've actually recorded a bunch of full length sessions that I give away for free along with a free copy of the book. Could I, 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about that real quick. And, uh, and yeah, I should probably let you out of here at some point. So yeah, let's go ahead and start to wrap her up. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how people can get in touch and, uh, yeah, feel free to, to talk. About it, it's all at neverbingeagain.com. If you go to neverbingeagain.com and you click on the big red button, you can sign up for the reader bonus list and you will get a free copy of the book in Kindle Nook or PDF format. There are also, um, paperback and audible formats, but there's a charge for those. You'll get a set of recorded coaching sessions. So you can hear me take people through a full session um, and see how this all resolves. We got about halfway with Ryan in the time that we had. And you will get a set of food plan starter templates, which are sets of rules that work together for virtually any dietary philosophy. So whether you're low carb or high carb or carnivorous or vegan or plant-based or your point counter or your calorie counter. We have thought through some starter templates that might work for you. The idea is to take them and modify them for your own needs because we're, we're not dietitians and nutritionists. And if I tell you what to eat, your, your inner food monster is going to say that doctor's diet is no good. We're going to have to try someone else's, but let's keep binging in the meantime. So it's all at neverbingeagain.com. Click the big red button. Cool. And we'll make sure to include links to all that stuff in the, uh, the show notes as well. Thanks, so, uh, well, yeah. So thank you so much, Glenn. I really appreciate all this time with you. I really appreciate you, especially going long and taking this time to work with me. Um, I mean, for me personally, I feel like even just sort of, two, you know, going with the one goal that we've identified, I think will be valuable. Um, I mean, it, it almost couldn't help but be. And I think that, uh, you know, hopefully anyway, you know, my willingness to sort of be transparent, I hope will maybe help other people be willing to open up and a lot. Sort of, and sort of explore these things because I mean, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, it's not a fun thing to talk about really. And, you know, there are a lot of people overcoming this, but I think there's some hope in there that it, it you know, it doesn't, you, you can't not win just because of something that's going on in your head or, or, you know, some experience or some trauma that happened to you. You know, they, I think, I think the underlying message is that there's an opportunity here to sort of take control and, and uh, you know, take back sort of the power around this stuff. If you define a really clear target and you keep getting up and aiming at the, tar the target and you commit with perfection, but you forgive yourself with dignity if you don't hit the bullseye and you keep aiming again, you, you have to get better where our brains are set up as learning machines. The reason that we don't make progress with our food is that there's a lot of obfuscation of where the goal is most people don't know exactly what they're aiming at. And so, like my grandfather says, if you don't know what you're aiming at, you're probably going to hit something else. And they, um, they don't commit with the same vigor and they, they try to aim for an unreasonable target. So don't put the target way up in the sky, put it on the ground, try one simple rule, aim at it, figure out what went wrong if you miss it, make adjustments, keep aiming, you'll get better. You have to. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great note to wind up on. And, uh, and hopefully, I mean, this is a little different format than we're used to. I, ho I hope for everybody who's tuned in, I hope it was valuable and, and, and meaningful. And for people who uh, need the help, I mean, obviously do reach out. We'll make sure that uh, all the show uh, or all the links are available in the show notes. It's neverbingeagain.com. Our guest was Dr. Glenn Livingston. Thanks so much, Glenn. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. And uh, okay. thanks to everybody who's tuned in this week and every week. And we'll see you all next time.